This morning, our scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 8, and then 9, 1 through 5. Now, already in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul had written about the collection the church was getting together for the saints in Jerusalem. But here in 2 Corinthians, he is writing to them to get with it, because he's been bragging about their generosity uh, to the Macedonians, and he doesn't want to arrive and be embarrassed if they're not ready. So chapters 8 and 9 are devoted to this collection and the gift they are preparing. The churches in Macedonia were poor, but they were already contributing to the same gift. And here Paul teaches how generosity blesses and affects both the givers and the recipients. Now let us read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, and then 9, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And now on to chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now it is superfluous for me to write about, to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The message this morning. Welcome to each of you, our regulars, our visitors. We appreciate your presence and we trust that your attention to the Word of God this morning will inspire and challenge you. In this week of our nation having a, a national holiday, Thanksgiving Day, we truly are blessed to be in a, in a nation that does pause to give thanks to God, at least many of them do, and they have a national holiday for it. There's a lot of things that we can recognize and affirm. One of the things we appreciate is that sound system usually works better than that. We are trying to raise money, though. <laughs> We're trying to raise money for a better sound system? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Thank you. There are so many things for which we duly ought to thank God and praise him and come tonight and sing those praises to God in recognizing the many physical blessings and spiritual blessings that we have because of God's generosity to us. Today, however, I want to challenge us to move beyond saying thank you to a higher level of expressing gratitude. Something higher? Yes, there is something even more than saying thank you and praise to the Lord that we can and ought to do and that the scripture this morning is going to challenge us to do as an expression of our response to God and his great gifts to us. 
Let me let identify, first of all, however, several levels of kinds of expressions of gratitude that we might experience. I never forget once, a year, uh, many years ago in Delaware, about this time of the year, we went to Arby's restaurant. And there on the wall were plastered student papers from the local schools where they were responding to the question, what does Thanksgiving mean to you? And as I looked at the one close to me on the wall, I had to write it down. It was just, it went like this. Thanksgiving means you get together with family and you give thanks to each other for what we've done and be thankful for how we turned out. I'm glad you chuckled at that to realize the, the juvenile approach to Thanksgiving that this 12-year-old girl had in Dover, Delaware in 1992. I was not impressed with what I read. I was rather depressed. I had to write it down. She didn't even acknowledge that gifts received came from God and they were grateful to them. It was just all about her and her family and getting together and thanking each other. How empty. Level one, level zero, maybe we should say. Come up a bit to a slightly higher expression of gratitude. Maybe we would say this is a nominal Christian in America. Grateful for the stuff he has. And he looks around and he has lots of things. And he expresses thanks to whoever it is up there for making it possible that he's got all these things and the stuff. And then he stuffs himself with turkey and he enjoys a game of football in the afternoon and he has a day off from work and he's thankful. Well, at least he's acknowledging that the things he has are good and he's grateful for them to some extent. And he expresses some kind of gratitude. Certainly as Christians, we'll go a step beyond. And maybe in your Thanksgiving celebration, you'll actually go around the table and have each one say something they're grateful for. The Christian response is appropriately expressing gratitude to God for the material blessings we have, be it turkey or chicken, whatever it is. The material blessings we have, be it a humble home or a nice modern new home. For the material blessings we have in living in this country, for life and health. But then also, for the spiritual blessings we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the privilege we have of living and walking with the Lord. Going from expressing thanks for material things to praising God for who he is and the spiritual blessings are both appropriate. And Christians are often challenged and reminded and practice both levels of that higher expression. But yet there's another one that I want us to discover this morning and challenge you with. One that goes even beyond expressing thanks to God and praise to him for who he is and what he has done for us. With your Bible still open, I hope, at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to continue reading the rest of the chapter and see what we can observe from here about a response to God and response for his gifts to us. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In this passage, we are called to express our gratitude by an action that goes beyond saying thank you, goes beyond singing praise to God. Beyond gratitude, is generosity. Paul lifts high this generosity as an expression of Christian grace. And in this passage, he identifies the principles of generosity that will not only motivate and guide the Corinthians in making their contribution to the saints in Jerusalem, but it will do the same for us as we have opportunity to share with others. Actions speak louder than words, I think Paul would say. And so Christians will show that they are truly grateful when they are truly generous. This puts a bit of a different twist on Thanksgiving, doesn't it? When we think about the things and we enjoy and appreciate the things that we have, and now we're talking about being generous and taking those things and giving them away? giving them to others, letting go. Yeah, that's what it's about. Bear with me. And as Christians, you will realize that that's the truth and the challenge that the Apostle Paul is giving us here in Corinthians chapter 9. Paul was being very tactful. I love his approach. He is really laying it on them. He's really buttering them up. He's really being tactful in in his approach to the Corinthians, but he's also quite straightforward about what he's about and what he's expecting them to do. He had earlier been with the Corinthians. They had said they would, they would help. They, would said, they said they would give money for the poor in Jerusalem, at the church in Judea. And now he's writing to say, all right, get on with it. I'm about to come, and when I get there, I want the gift ready so that I'm not embarrassed because I've been telling others about you. I've really been laying it on them and encouraging them to give because the Corinthians are giving. So don't embarrass us by not being ready. But just be sure it's given freely, willingly, and cheerfully. God loves that kind of a giver. And so in the context of God loving a cheerful giver, Paul writes, and the first principle he identifies for generosity is that generosity is illustrated in nature. Just look around, Paul would say. Something very common in your society and in ours. The thing of sowing a crop, planting seeds in the garden, sowing the field full of crop, and then getting a harvest. Consider seed. Hundreds thousands of tiny little seeds in this jar. Seeds of wheat. Each one capable of growing, capable of producing. But as it is, in my hand, it's safe, it's secure, it's going to last a long time. If I'm a farmer, I can choose whether to plant my seed or eat my seed, makes good bread, or just save it away, keep it to myself for some future use. It's my choice, it's my property, it's in my hand. However, the farmer knows that if he takes this seed and scatters it, he takes it out of his hand and he throws it. He lets it go. It's no longer his to control. He cannot go regather it and save it for another day. He can't 
pull it in and make some bread out of it. It's gone. He gives it up. But he's not throwing it away. He's sowing it in the field. And as he sows it and buries it, it's gone from his sight. But it is entrusted. It is entrusted to God who does a miracle with each little kernel of grain. And that little kernel of grain, buried and out of sight and committed to God, the farmer knows and he has faith. Faith that God is going to do something with that and cause it to grow. And sure enough, God makes the sun come up, warms the soil, God sends the rain. The farmer just lets it happen because he has let it go. He has sown his seed. He has scattered it. And God does the miracle. Well, what's the matter here? <laughs> Sowing seed is an act of faith in God. Out of your control, and just like you plant seeds in the garden, or if you're a farmer, you plant the field full of seeds, you're trusting that God will make it grow. Paul starts here by a reminder that when you sow, if you're stingy about how much you sow, it'll be stingy how much grows. But if you're generous and you sow a lot, then a lot will grow. It's that simple. When harvest comes, what does the farmer get? It's always interesting to watch wheat grow. Some is already planted in our communities now. And the fields are green because they've been planted as a fall crop and the wheat is getting up and it'll be pretty much dormant through most of the winter. But come springtime, warm weather kicks in and growth kicks in and that wheat will grow taller and taller. And from each kernel that has been planted, there comes stems of stalk. And on the top of the stem will be a head. And on each head, probably 40 kernels of grain. And come next May, early June, it'll be ripe. And what does the farmer get? He's looking forward to bread. Bread. That wheat can be harvested, can be brought in, can be ground into flour, and can be made into wholesome, nourishing bread. But the thing is, so much grows that he not only has bread for him and his family, he's got extra seed. He's got extra grain. The supply of wheat is replenished. He's got just as much to plant for next year as he does this time, and he's got more left over. In fact, one grain of wheat can produce eight or more heads with 40 seeds per head. That's 300 to 400 fold reproduction. God knows how to multiply. And this farmer that trusted God with his seed watches God do his miracle of multiplication. Sort of like in many aspects of growing. You've probably heard this one before. You can count the number of acorns in a tree, but you can't count the number of trees in an acorn. Why? One tree produces many acorns. If they get scattered and planted, each one of them can produce, in turn, another tree, which in turn produces many, many more acorns. Keeps the squirrels happy, doesn't it? But think of the reproduction Think of the miracle of God's multiplication and the illustration that he is giving us as he talks about sowing and reaping. The point here is that in the, as the, natural, in the natural world, this illustrates what happens spiritually. And as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he is telling them, giving, giving to others is like sowing seed. You let it go. 
It's out of your control. You're doing it because you have a view to God blessing it, making it multiply, and making it meet some needs for other people. And sure enough, he does. So don't be stingy in the way you give, or you'll just get a stingy little harvest. Be generous in what you give. Bless others as much as you can. Trust God. Yes, it takes faith, but watch to see the increase and to see God multiply that seed into many, many more. Grace, Paul sa- giving, Paul says here, is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. And we're challenged this morning to think that expressing our gratitude to God needs to be more than just verbal. It should also be action, an action of grace. Grace, that's God's stuff, isn't it? Grace is God's generous attitude and favor and benevolence to mankind, his giving to mankind. But you know, when mankind starts doing like God does, that's also called grace. And so while God gives grace to bless our lives, he also enables us to give grace to bless those out there. And just like the sower scatters that seed and opens his hand to let it go, God's people bless others by taking what's in their possession and scattering it, giving it, blessing others so that God will allow it to grow and make it to produce. So generosity is illustrated beautifully and powerfully in nature in this thing of sowing and reaping. But there's more. The second principle of generosity is that generosity is mandated in Scripture. Paul is pretty careful in his tactful approach to the Corinthians not to command them as if he's some authority, a parent, charging them, ordering them to do thus and so. But it's almost that way, isn't it? He is very tactful in his, in his instructions to them and his reminders to them. But the imperative is clear, both in this passage and it comes through, obviously, in other places in Scripture. It's clear here in the illustration of sowing and reaping. You ought to give. It's clear in the fact that The folks in Jerusalem are having a hard time, a famine, a struggle, poverty over there. We ought to help them. The the command to give and to share generously is also in part because you Corinthians have promised you're going to do it. Now, keep your promise. And so there are those kinds of uh, imperatives that come through to to the Corinthians and we would remember that giving, giving is something we do every Sunday. You just did it a few minutes ago. Giving in the offering each Sunday, something we can do as a way of letting go, something that we have, and entrusting it to God. We're entrusting it to God in the program of the church and the, the ways that we as a church have decided already this money is going to be divided out and spent. Or trusting it to God by designating it for certain projects or needs or individuals. Giving in the offering is an excellent way of expressing generosity. That's not the only way. But through the Old Testament, God's people were often instructed and reminded to give their tithes and their sacrifices and their offerings and bring them to the Lord. They were reminded to give to the poor. And they were reminded to come to the aid of the widow and the orphan and the stranger in the land. Careful how you say that these days. It's kind of a hot topic in our country, isn't it? Deserves more study than I'll give it this morning. But God commanded his people to be generous to others who were in need and were at the mercy of their circumstances. Jesus, in the New Testament, spoke of doing your acts of righteousness. Acts of righteousness? Oh, he's talking about giving. Doing your acts of righteousness, not to be seen by men, but do them in secret for your Father in heaven, and he'll see you and reward you. But in the same passage, Jesus says, but let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's the point? 
your motive in giving is not to receive honor and credit and acclaim and praise to yourself. No. The cheerful giver is releasing so that men are blessed and they give honor to the Lord. Let your light shine that men may see and give glory to God. And so the motive in which Paul challenged us to give is that of not self-glory, but of giving God glory. And we'll find that that's exactly what happens as the Corinthians give their gifts. Similarly, Jesus, when he sent his disciples to go out and he gave them power, he gave, he gave them power to heal, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel. What did he tell them? You finish it. Freely you have received. Oh. You got it from me for nothing? You pass it on from me for nothing. Freely you received, freely give. When you were born, what did you hold in your hand? As you came forth from your mother's womb, what was there in your hand? Nothing. Nothing. We came into this world with empty hands, not even clothes on our back. So what do we have now? Oh, got clothes, got a place to live, got food in the cupboard, I've got... Where did it come from? I came empty-handed, and now look at all that has come to me. It has come from the giver himself, sometimes directly, fresh air and sunshine, sometimes through other people, parents that care and raise me, people that have generously contributed to my life, but ultimately from God. The one who has seed to sow is one who begins life and his day with an empty hand. And in essence, he stands there holding it up to God and say, Nothing in my hand I bring, but whatever you can and want to give me, put it in my hand. And as God generously puts all kinds of things into our hand, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about health. We're talking about energy. We're talking about family. We're talking about the church and relationships. We're, we're talking about salvation. Jesus. God keeps putting things into our life as we're holding it up to him, and it flows down into our being and enriches our life and warms our soul and our heart. And we're filled, you might say. And at Thanksgiving time, we re realize we've been filled. So now what do we do? One hand outstretched to God. The other reaching into the bosom and taking seed and scattering it. And scattering it. So that others out there will get some seed too. And so others out there will be blessed. And we let go of some of those blessings that God has given us in order to pass it on. To others. Generosity is mandated. We gratefully receive, we faithfully manage, and then we generously share. And this kind of posture ought to typify our attitude as we approach all of life, as we approach our day. And we decide what to do with our day. Can we receive from God these minutes and hours? Can we utilize them well? Can we share with others? This kind of posture ought to typify our checkbook and what we do with it. Receiving from God, utilizing it well, passing on to others. God mandates generosity. But more than that, he promises that he loves a cheerful giver. There is a special love that God has for one who does this cheerfully. He loves doing it. His, there's a smile on his face because he somehow has an idea that whatever's going to happen out there, God's going to make it multiply and it's going to be good stuff. And somebody else is going to be blessed because I got to be part of passing it on. And that's really what it was about. Passing it on for I received it from him and I pass it on to others. God loves a cheerful giver, one who is genuine and free, one who is doing it for the pleasure and joy of benefiting others. Literally, the word means exhilarating, an exhilarating giver, one who is just bursting with joy at giving. Why does God love him? I think it's because that person is acting like God himself. 
that person is just imitating God by passing on to others many blessings, and God says, I love him. He's acting just like me. More about that later. Now, apart from Scripture, there, are, there is a human principle that mandates our sharing. Paul refers to this earlier in, the, in chapter 8, as uh, in verses uh, 13 or 15, he talks about the principle of justice and fairness. And we have to admit that people that aren't even Christians and are not motivated by the love and generosity of God in their lives, they still have a human compassion and interest in others, and they give. You watch what happens when there's a disaster hits, an earthquake or a flood, and how people give through the Red Cross to benefit those people or to help them. May we Christians never be put to shame by them in being stingy with our response, in responding to those who are in a desperate situation from famine or warfare or flooding or earthquakes. Can your generosity reach to those? Can you scatter that widely? Is there a trustworthy channel to get your contributions to those who are far away? And with that in mind, we do notice that Paul gives special attention to how this gift is going to be taken to Jerusalem. He talks about Titus, and he talks about two other trusted, chosen brothers who are going to be receiving this money and are responsible with integrity to take it and deliver it. It's not going to be on, all on Paul. This is a safeguard for him, lest somebody say he mismanaged it or he took some of it himself. It's going to be entrusted to these men and they're going to take it to Jerusalem. And that is an important part of generosity, being sure that it gets to the right place in good hands. It's also a reassurance to the donors that their money is well taken care of and it gets to where it was intended. So generosity is illustrated in nature. It's mandated in scripture. Now let's move on to the third one. The third principle is also evident in this passage and it relates to the harvest. When a farmer sows his seed, the harvest validates what he has done. It proves that what he has done and the action he took is right and it was wise. Spiritually, there is also a harvest. And the harvest that is reaped spiritually validates the generosity that you exercise. What's happening when we give? What's happening when Christians are generous in blessing others? Well, I'll mention, first of all, one that is mentioned in this passage. There are personal rewards or benefits. Paul says, you will be better off. Paul, he would remind us that our motive is still to be a cheerful one, and we're not to be motivated by what we're getting out of our giving as if we're trying to calculate and be sure that this is a wise investment that will bring better and more returns back to me. It's not about what I'm getting, but it's about what they are receiving and blessing them, their lives so that they will in turn bless and honor God. But Paul does talk about the benefits of God's love. He uses words like this, grace abounding to you. He says he was going to enable you to abound in good work. He's going to multiply your seed. And we see that's what's happening. The seed that was planted and gone has resulted in more seed and more bread than we ever had before. So you're going to abound. God's going to multiply your seed. He's going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you're going to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. <laughs> that's why God is doing it to you. He's blessing your life. He's enriching your life. He's making the harvest grow so you'll have more to give. Not, as a typical selfish American would say, you get all you can, and you can all you get, and you sit on the lid. How selfish. How self-centered. How narrow-minded such a posture. No. God's attitude is, I give you a harvest, I multiply it so that you can be rich in doing good works so that you can
be generous in every way. Well, as you're generous in every way, another benefit or result uh, in the harvest is that God is supplying the needs of saints. Well, that's what started this all, didn't it, Paul? You heard and understood that the saints in Jerusalem were needing help in their poverty. They were out of bread. <laughs> they were hungry. They were suffering. And as the Corinthians and the Macedonians and other churches collected money to send to them, it was a way of meeting their needs. This kind of giving is simply for that, to meet human needs, especially the needs of fellow believers. When needs are met, the generous gift has fulfilled its purpose. If there's no need, look somewhere else and give it there. If there's no need, why put your money there? The multiplication of the harvest is God's provision of replenishing your seed and blessing many others with bread besides. Well, another result that's happening in the harvest. The spiritual harvest that is happening now, Paul is foreseeing what's going to happen as the saints in Jerusalem receive the gift. He says, sort of anticipating it, in verses 11 and 12, they are going to thank God for the way he is meeting their needs. Oh, the seed that you scatter is going out there, and it's resulting in some overflow. The overflow is that God is honored and thanked, and they are warming their hearts, first of all, toward God and thanking, thanking God for meeting their needs. When this happens, the Corinthian giver's heart is just going to swell, and his face is going to beam, and he's going to rejoice because God is honored. It's not about me. It's about God. God started this whole business, you see. He's the one that created seed to start with. And if he creates seed and he fills my life with blessings and I can share them out, well, that's about him. I'm just sort of the channel in between him and them. And now we begin to see why generosity surpasses gratitude. Simple gratitude sort of stops there with a focus on thanking God for these things that I've got. Generosity spreads those blessings out there so that they are also thanking God. And now all over the place, praise and thanks to God are being offered because a Christian back here was generous in sharing with others. Like wheat and like acorns. They just keep multiplying and multiplying. And you never know when it's going to stop because God keeps multiplying the seed that he gives to you and that you pass on to others. Well, verse 13 indicates that they don't just thank God, but they also glorify God, a higher level of praise and gratitude than just thanking God. But they are glorifying God, and notice what it says they're glorifying God for. Not because you were generous. No, it's not simply a focus on your generosity that they're thanking God and glorifying God for, but rather they're glorifying God because of your submission to the gospel and you submitted to the gospel, and that's what prompted you to be generous. Your generosity proves that you are committed to the gospel of Christ. And they are saying, that's us too. So we're in this together. We're, having, we're celebrating and belonging to the same Jesus Christ, the same gospel, as those folks over there are. And suddenly, the Jerusalem Christians are praising and thanking God and thinking of their neighbors across the Mediterranean Sea as belonging to the same family as they do. And then something unbelievable starts to happen. Picture now these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem going through a hard time, struggling, persecution and, and famine. Paul says, they long for you. 
and they're praying for you. Oh, uh, we can all use some more prayers, can't we? What a blessing it is to, have no, to know that someone is praying for us. But here are these anonymous givers back at Corinth, and the folks in Jerusalem are, are longing. Their heart is going out to them. There's something happening here that is not money. It's not measurable by, by currency. It's not measurable by seed and bread. It's something happening here in the spiritual realm. This spiritual harvest is doing something for the relationship between the folks in Jerusalem and the folks in Corinth. And their hearts are going out to you because of the grace of God and your response to the gospel. And they long for you and they're praying for you. You see, the value of this harvest is much greater than the gift that they gave. But the miracle is, is even greater when we stop and consider who were these people? Who was it over here in Jerusalem that was receiving these gifts? Well, they were Jewish Christians. They were poor. They were struggling. They were, they were probably listening to their apostle James who wrote to them like this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, they think, yeah, well, I don't know what that's about. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So these believers are in their poverty and their struggle they're hearing words like this, and they're thinking, what kind of faith do those folks have? They don't know until Paul arrives. Think now of who's giving the gifts. The church at Corinth. The church at Macedonia. They've collected money. They've sent it painstakingly with trusted men over the seas to faraway Jerusalem. They'll never see it again. They let it go. They trusted it to God. Who are these folks? These are Gentiles. Oops. Now we're getting on touchy territory. These are Gentile believers over here that are giving the money to the Jewish Christians over there. This is no small matter. Those Jewish believers had been assured time and again by Peter, by Paul. The Gentiles are, belong to our church. If they believe, we need to accept them. You remember Cornelius and Peter? They struggled with that one. You remember the Jerusalem conference? They struggled with that one. It's just not easy for the Jewish people to dismiss all their generations of teaching and prejudice and separation from the ungodly, you know. It's, it's just tough for them to put that aside and say, yeah, the Gentiles, they're okay with us. But now, what's happening? Paul and his friends arrive from these Gentile churches bearing money that they need to buy food for their children. And suddenly, the Jewish believers, their hearts are warmed to God and to the brothers far away, and their hearts go out to them and they start praying for them because they see that in them is evidence of the same gospel that we believe. And this tangible gift does a miracle far beyond what the Corinthians could have imagined. It does something to the Jewish believers in bonding them in their Christian relationship with the Gentile believers and helping them to realize and know that we are part of the same body. There is somebody over there that cares about us when we are destitute in need of daily food and, and clothing. The Gentiles are demonstrating faith, faith that is genuine. James, they got it. Who ever heard the like? These Jewish Christians, they're wanting to greet these Gentile brothers with a, a long-lost hug and say, thank you. You belong to the same Jesus that we do. Corinthian church, can you anticipate and imagine such a harvest? 
Did you ever imagine what was happening, what would happen? You thought you were just writing out another check for the alms fund. What happened to it? You trusted it to God. It was delivered to people that needed it. And in their hearts, they were welling up with praise to God and gratitude for you because you are living like the gospel says you should. And this is happening between Jews and Gentiles. Now, just last Sunday, we, in my Sunday school class, we studied Job. And I think maybe these Christians in Jerusalem were like Job, saying, why is this happening? Why all this suffering? What is going on? And they don't know the story behind it. They don't know what God is planning or doing behind the scenes. And they're wondering, why all this suffering? But now, we can see at least some of it. And I suppose that God up in heaven is nudging Jesus up in heaven and saying, hey, you see what's happening down there? Good job, huh? Isn't that just what we wanted to happen? Oh. Jewish and Gentile Christians bonding in love in response to each other. And suddenly, the prayer that Jesus had offered, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, suddenly that is happening in a, in a definite way between Jerusalem and Cor Corinth as these churches experience what? Some money. <laughs> some money and the value and the beauty of this response and what's happening in their hearts is something that can't be bought or touched with money. It's a spiritual harvest by the one who knows how to make seed multiply. Well, there's one more principle of generosity I must notice. After all Paul's pep talk, as encouragement to the Corinthians to give and to be generous, when he comes to the end of chapter, he finally says, with heartfelt emotion, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Not so much about your gift, but his gift now. That's where our thanks and praise is directed. For that's what it's really all about. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. What gift? Quote it with me. John 3.16 talks about this gift. Can we say it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gift. You remember back there in chapter 8, verse 9? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Yes, God illustrated generosity in the world of nature. He mandated generosity in his scripture. He validates generosity by the beauty and the reproduction of the harvest. But now we see that God himself demonstrates generosity in Jesus Christ. That gift. When Paul talked in Romans 5 about the gift, the gift of Jesus, he uses the same kind of language that we're finding here. He's, let me read just a couple of those verses from Romans 5. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more, much more, sounds like harvest, doesn't it? Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Keep reading more verses there. It's more of the same kind of stuff, a reality, a reminder that when God does a harvest, a spiritual harvest, it starts small with one man and it spreads to many. And we today in 2015 are beneficiaries of the gift that Jesus Christ did those thousands of years ago. But God's still multiplying. God is still making harvest. 
And we still get to be imitators of God. For when we are cheerful givers, when we release like the sower, we're just acting like God. For he is the one who demonstrated what it is to give a precious gift for the benefit of others, letting it go, trusting it to God and his miracle working multiplication so that others benefit. Yes, thanks be to God for his indescribable, inexpressible gift. So this week at Thanksgiving, what are you going to do? How are you going to give expression of thanks beyond just saying and singing what action will there be? You don't have to look far to see some needs that are among us, some needs in our community, some needs in our nation and the world. Got some seed? What did God give it to you for? Some needs to be planted for next year's harvest. Much of it can be shared with others because there's more than what you need. Listen and look. Bless God. Bless someone else, trusting God to multiply. Even in today's bulletin, there are hints of things that you might say, that's where I want to put some seed. I'm going to trust that God is going to bless this and make it multiply and use it for good in other people's lives. Perhaps you know of someone who needs encouragement. Spiritual seed isn't always money. Sometimes it could be time. It may be somebody that needs a phone call or a visit to, so, that, so that these people over here know that somebody cares. Perhaps it's a missionary you know of that needs some additional support. And you say, yeah, I can write out a check or write a note of encouragement, send them an email, let them know I was praying for them today. Perhaps you have a neighbor who needs a listening ear, somebody to help clean up the backyard, a loaf of bread. It doesn't have to be money. God's seeds come in many shapes and forms, but I'll tell you, when we entrust them to him, he makes them grow. What ideas do you have? Listen to God for your ideas. His are the best. How can you plant some seeds? Be generous. Let it go. God makes things grow. Thanksgiving's not past. This message is good all year long, but especially this week. Can we sing, Shannon? <laughs>